Hey beautiful people and welcome to Concealed Scars. Today's episode is on suicide. Suicide is death caused by injuring oneself with intent to die. Some of the facts about suicide is that it's the 10th leading cause of death. 80 to 90% of seek treatment for depression. Females are more likely to have suicidal thoughts and firearms are the most commonly used for men and women will most likely use poisoning. Some of the signs of suicide could be increased in use of drugs or alcohol, talking about wanting to die, talking about being a burden to others, or withdrawing or isolating from everyone else. Today, I have the beautiful Ariel Jones, who is the author of Life As I Know It in the Mind of a Foster Child. Welcome, Ariel. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on here and sharing your story. And helping someone else that might be experiencing what you've experienced. I hope I can. That's the goal. That's the goal. It's always the goal to help somebody else. Um, first and foremost, congratulations on your book. Cause that's 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 top tier. Like, not a lot of people can do a book. I wouldn't yeah. even know what to put in a book. <laughs> but it <laughs> that's really good. What is your book about? So my book is just basically the things that I went through in foster care. Um, I grew, I went into foster care when I was two years old and then I aged out when I turned 18. So it was, it's just basically going, just hitting certain parts that I feel like shaped me to be the person I am today. Just giving people more insight of who I am and why I am the way I am. Not necessarily as an excuse, but to give them as a reason as to why I go so hard as to why I have to prove to myself that I am capable of anything because of the things that I went through. And a lot of people don't really understand that foster care is, people say that foster care can be good for a lot of people. Don't get me wrong, I definitely learned some lessons while in foster care, Mm -hmm. but I felt like it's the bad things that happen in foster care that people don't talk about. And Mm -hmm. it's just shining light that just because we go through these things doesn't mean that we have to be a regular statistic you know to become pregnant as a female or even a male they're known to just always be in and out of jail Mm -hmm. and I just wanted to shine light on that just because I went through those things between abuse and suicide and depression doesn't mean that I am not capable of being an amazing person so it was just to shine light and to just give people a little insight on what it's like to live in the mind of a foster child, to see what we go through or to hear what we go through without mm-hmm. actually having to be there, to paint that picture. So that's what the book is about. I love to see it. Like, that's that's amazing. Because you do think when you hear foster care or foster children, you don't really, it never really has a positive connotation to it. Yeah definitely it's it's, always negative exactly and sometimes uh sometimes people don't go through nothing in foster care I know a lot of foster kids who have the best experience in foster care but then you also have children like me or other kids who've been through it all you know and those are the ones who make it out better than the ones who didn't go through nothing and that's the ones who get looked over so it's definitely something to shine a light on and to get people to understand that yes we are who we are we did go through the system yes we are made from the system but that doesn't mean I have to continue to be the system okay 
I like that. That's a quote. That's a quote. Y'all better write that down. So, I know when I talk to you before about doing this topic, I always say, and that's with anybody that I do top certain topics with or just any type of topic, I never want to trigger someone's trauma Definitely. when asking them questions or doing topics. That's why I always let people know let me know what is appropriate and not appropriate to ask because I don't want nobody coming at me like she asked me this and now she done set me off and that's never my intention so thank you for even just allowing me to ask the questions or just giving me insight in general on this topic because I know nothing about it so you're definitely teaching me something that I haven't experienced personally and I don't know anyone that has personally experienced it what 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 brought you to a point where you felt like you just you were just tired and just what brought you to that point honestly I think that once I graduated college and I felt like I made my family proud and everybody else proud and I proved to the world that I could become something Mm -hmm. I didn't have nothing to fall back on I didn't know what happiness was I didn't know who I was as a person and I didn't know where I wanted to go from there I knew I wanted to be a social worker that's all I knew but I didn't know the steps to get there and Mm -hmm. I just felt like once I made everybody else proud and I realized well who am I you know, and I couldn't get to conclusion. It was times where I was, t- I didn't want to say my name or show my face because people were like, well, what do you do? Or, you know, who are you? Yeah. Introduce yourself. And it was time for, mm-hmm. I, was, I didn't know what to say. And after a while, I just started really like distancing myself from people, just trying to refine myself. And that just kind of set me to a really a depressive state to where it was just like, you know what? I, I don't know what to do. I'm tired of trying to please everybody. I'm tired of living for everybody else. When when, and how can I live for myself? And that question kept playing in my mind to the point where I didn't know which way to go. And eventually I stopped looking for a way to go. And it was down here from there. I just, I stopped trying. I started giving life my all. But I continued to smile. I continued to laugh. I continued to go out with my friends. I continued to go visit my family. Mm-hmm. But it was a mask. It was all a mask. It was just for people to make it, just for people to know that I'm okay. Yeah. But I knew that I wasn't okay. Yeah. And that was going to be my next question. How did you keep people from recognizing that you were mentally going through something? Well, to know me is to know that I'm always laughing. I love to, mm-hmm. to make other people laugh. Um, I, I'm, I'm a goofy and continue to be goofy. I knew that if I continue to put on this act, if I continue to laugh, if I continue to show up to people's events and do things and just continue to show my face, no one would know. No one would understand. If I continue to just act like I'm okay and I got everything in the bag, yeah. Um, I just felt like that that was that's all I needed to do to just not people I don't I don't like attention so it was easy for me to Ooh, you sound to like laugh me. and joke <laughs> <laughs> definitely I, I don't like attention I don't like people to worry about me and that's uh, that's one of my biggest flaws about myself that I know is that I always put myself on the back burner because I don't like the judgment of others 
you know I didn't want people to be like oh she's depressed and she has no reason to be depressed she got a whole college degree da 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 so I just continued to to live life as it should be lived and that kept people not knowing I went out with my friends my roommates didn't think nothing about it they just you know they just thought I was drinking more and smoking a little bit more so it was they just thought that you know I was just living my best life at the time so mm-hmm. just I kept the daily routine I kept, I always went to work I never called out yeah and and I do agree with you from what you said in the beginning about life after graduation and I, I did the topic on that life after graduation is not what everybody thinks it is definitely not and that mess will definitely take a toll on you especially if you aren't you don't feel like you're where you should be right and trying to figure out how to get there or maybe not having the necessary resources or you're just not as prepared as you thought you were you spend most of your life in school and now Mm -hmm. you're not in school so it's like okay what am I doing right and for me school was definitely my outlet so when school ended it was like okay well what do I do now <laughs> like I'm used to being in school I'm used to having to an uh, obligation to do something and now mm-hmm. I, it's up to me to wake up every day to go to work and to find something to do productively I didn't know how to do that <laughs> it definitely became a burden at one point mm-hmm well, I'm happy you're here. I appreciate it. It, it. it was a, it was, it was a path. I'm not gonna lie. Um, yeah. When I was little, I used to self harm a lot, and um, I always wore um, like long sleeve shirts and things like that. And when I turned 18, I started to get tattoos. I was gonna um, ask that because I know you got like <laughs> a whole lot of tech. They're beautiful though. Nice <laughs> tattoos. I'm like, yes. this is tatted. <laughs> yes. But I have my tattoos to cover the scars because mm-hmm. it was it was a point where I didn't want to keep looking at them. I didn't want people to look at my arms and think like, oh, she she's a harm, you know, she just did that and the third. It was just really about other people's judgment. So when I got my yeah. tattoos and I got my first one on my arm to cover up my biggest cut, and um, I realized, you know, this this is a way for me to heal. I like the pain. It was a way to get away from physical and mental pain and mm-hmm. just and just feel something that actually felt good, like wanted pain, if that makes sense. <laughs> no, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> it was like a wanted pain rather than an unwanted pain. And I started and every mark that I had on my body, including my back from handprints from my abusers, I got covered up. And to this day, like I just I get them because it's my escape when I can't yeah. go to class or can't go to school or don't I'm not you know want to talk to anybody. I just go get a tattoo because it's 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 one of my coping skills. It's probably yeah. a terrible, expensive coping skill, but it's definitely one of my. It's biggest different, coping but I skills. mean, do what works for you, definitely. and it's not harming you. So, or at least I don't think it's harming you. No. Some people might think otherwise, but that's not my judgment or theirs. But do what's best for you. And I feel like that's with anybody. If you've got a healthy coping mechanism for anything you're going through, just do it. Definitely. 
definitely agree and cope and that's why people don't understand the coping skills and self-care it comes a big place in suicide and even part of the signs of suicide when you notice someone's not getting their hair done and you know not not keeping themselves up to par that's a big sign right there and people don't even realize it. people are like oh she just ain't got the money no I just don't I don't have the energy <laughs> oh I never really think about that that's that makes sense though. I never really thought of thought of it that way it's just when it comes to suicide, it, it's it's hard because you you can see somebody and be like they're smiling so bright, they're doing so good, and like yeah. But deep down inside, we be the saddest ones. And mm-hmm. I'm very, I I am one of my strongest. I don't, I'm the, I am the strongest person out of all my friends. So they never really thought to you know check on me or to see yeah. how I'm doing. And even when I'm down, I'm always texting people like, "How are you? How are you doing? What's up? What's going on? Talk to me. You know." Let me know what's, if I can help you. And then when you realize it's not being returned, it's like, okay, well, nobody really cares. They just care what I can do for them. Yeah. And that started to happen over a while. I just got more and more depressed. I just felt like, you know, nobody really cares. So if I disappear, who who would notice? Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, if I go do this or that and the third and I don't come home at night, my roommate won't notice. And I started to get those thoughts every day for like uh, for forever and um in 2018 I just I was down bad like legal wise I was in legal trouble I was just mm-hmm. it it just started off really bad after grad school after college and I just fell into a really really bad depressive state and nothing I did or anything that anybody said to me could bring me out of it and I um I made this voice memo one day <laughs> when I was coming home from work because it was sitting on my mind like you know I'm just tired mm-hmm. I'm just really really just tired of just trying to be happy trying to find life out figure it out yeah and I, I I can't like I'm tired of being hurt by people going through bad relationships I'm tired of people using me and I was just I was just tired and I made a 10 minute voice recording and um I apologized to all my family members and I was just like you know tonight's going to be the night and I'm okay with it I felt at peace at that time and that's Mm -hmm. the crazy thing about when you go into trying to commit suicide you get this sense of peace as in like it's okay everything's going to be okay you know people's going to cry for about a week maybe a month but by this time next year they're going to forget about it and that was my thoughts. That was really my thoughts. Like, you know, something they're going to forget. They're not going to understand. They're not going to remember me two years from now. Nobody's going to really pay attention. You know, they might make a post here and there, but it won't be that bad, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just thought about my sisters and how they will feel. And I'd be like, they got each other. They'll be okay. I live in Florida anyway, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's not like it will be a difference of my presence. And Yeah. That night, I went to the gas station. Well, I went home. I changed my clothes. And um, I ate dinner with my roommates and a little son. And um, mm-hmm. I did, my, I did my, my work for the next day. I had seen all my kids on my caseload at the time. So I was okay. Mm-hmm. And that night, it was probably like around 8 o'clock at night. Um, I told my roommate I was going to the bar to get a drink. I stopped at the gas station. I grabbed like 
I would say maybe 30 plus packs of the Tylenol PMs. Mm-hmm. And I had grabbed a bottle of alcohol and I took all the pills with the alcohol and I finished the alcohol and I was just driving. I was driving towards the bridge. Mm-hmm. And my only thought was either I can get into a car accident, cause a car accident, and die by car accident, or I could just run into the wall on the bridge. And I just wanted it to end. I didn't care at that point. I didn't care how I died. I just knew I wanted to die. I just knew then it was, I just, I just didn't want to be here. I, and I felt so at peace that night. I think that was the most peaceful, peaceful I ever felt in my life. Mm. And um, the crazy thing about that night though, is that my line sister called me and mm-hmm. um, I kept declining the call. I had cut off my location so nobody knew where I was. Everybody knew oh. that my last location was um, somewhere by a hospital. That's anything, every, anything anybody else knew. Yeah. And um, I parked, I pulled over, and I just wanted, I just waited till I fell asleep. And um, my sister was on her phone. She was crying. I remember it. She was just crying so bad. And I'm like, what are you crying for? Like, I'm good. Like, I'm okay. And she would not get off the phone with me. She just would not hang up. She was like, I'm just going to sit here on the phone with you until it kick in. And I was like, no, because I don't want you to see me in my last breath. And next thing I know, she called the police on me. How she got my location, I have no idea. As she should. (laughs) The police came up and they were like, well, you're already here. Just go in, check yourself in. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I'm like, no, I'm okay. I didn't do anything. I really tried to deny it. Then they forced me out the car. And that was my first hospitalization as an adult. I was hospitalized for like, I think that time I was only hospitalized for like three or four days. Mm-hmm. Um, I got on medication. I was recommended to see a therapist. And when I got released from the hospital, I stopped taking my medication. I didn't like how it was making me feel. Um, to know me is to know that I'm an emotional person. I'm a cancer, so I have to be in two of my emotions. And yeah. it, depression medication it's like a it's like a it's like an emotion blocker type of thing Mm, um so I didn't really like it like you know I wasn't I couldn't smile with my kids on my case so like I couldn't be happy on it that I thought at least and so I stopped taking it for a while um and then I was doing okay for for about a good four months I was doing okay I, I felt like I was doing okay you know people were a little bit more aware and then again, I just fell back into a depression. I felt like I was still not where I wanted to be. I was still in a lot of drama. I was just, you know, I just felt like I was doing really bad at life. And January 4th of 2020, um, I attempted to jump off the Skyway Bridge. And I went to the, my favorite bar. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a drink with my favorite bartender. And nobody knew I turned off my location while I was at the bar mm-hmm. and I sat there I was at the bar probably for about two hours I had a good drink um and then I drove I don't know if you know where the Skyway Bridge is but it's in St. Pete and I'm probably like 30 minutes from the Skyway Bridge and mm-hmm. I just, I've heard of it yeah it's actually the tallest bridge in Florida it stands 200 feet in the air mm-hmm. and nothing below is rocks and water and the crazy thing about this bridge, it, it just freaked everybody out. I used to drive this bridge every day to go to work. 
So I knew when it would be busy. I knew when to go and I knew when not to go. And mm-hmm. um, I remember exactly what I had on that night. I had on some gray Adidas pants, some red and white Jordans, and a red sweatshirt. And my hair was in a bun. I had braids. And um, the crazy thing about that night is, though, on my way to the bar, I ran into a police officer. And I circled around because I wanted to stop to tell him that I needed help. And I didn't stop. So I went straight to the bar. When I left the bar, I stopped at the gas station um, just to grab something. I don't even remember. I think I grabbed the black in my house. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I seen the same police officer. Mm-hmm. And I had dropped the wrapper on the ground. And he was like, why would you do that? Pick it up. I'm standing right here. I said, my bad officer. And he was like, are you okay? And I, was, I took a moment to answer him. And I was like, yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. And he was like, I don't think you are, but I'm going to let you go and you have a good night. And um, I drove past the Skyway and I stopped on like a little roundabout thing and I wrote Mm -hmm. a goodbye note to some of my closest friends and my family and I sent it. And my phone was blowing up after that and then I cut my phone off. And that night, I knew that I wanted to go. Like, I was not going to fail. In my mind, I knew exactly the time. And I knew I had 10 seconds to jump before any police officer showed up on that bridge. I was prepared. I was definitely prepared to go. And I took off my shoes because I'm like, you know, somebody can use these shoes when I'm gone. And um, I took off my shoes. I left them in the car. I I left the keys in my car with my doors unlocked. I put my phone on the seat. I took off all my jewelry and I sat on top of the skyway for like a good two seconds. And then I let go and I closed my eyes and I felt a hand grab me and it was a police officer and I was so mad. I was so mad. And that was the day- It was the same was, police officer? No, it was a different police officer. Um, I was just so mad, I guess. He told me when he came to visit me in the hospital the next morning, he was like, I got a call that somebody was trying to commit suicide and they felt that they were going to go to a bridge or do something from a high distance. And my first instinct was to go to the Skyway. And he was like, you had three different counties looking for you for the last two hours. And I was like, I don't know why (laughs) I was okay. I just felt like he shouldn't have showed up. And until that day, I was admitted to the hospital for 10 days after that. And um, when I got out, I lost my job. (laughs) I lost basically everything. My roommate told me that I had to move out. I was back to the depressive state that I was trying to run away from for so long. Mm -hmm. Um, I started back self-harming for about a good few months. But something in me told me that it's not meant for me to go. It was literally meant for me. Something is keeping me here on earth. I don't know what, I don't know why, but I just felt like I needed to figure out because I can't keep putting my family members through this. I can't keep, you know, making people seem like I'm doing this for attention because I really just wanted to die at that moment. I was was just tired. I just, I didn't feel like fighting anymore. I feel like I fought for 25 years. Why do I have to keep fighting? Yeah. Like, you know, I don't, I just felt like nobody in their life should, should have to fight this hard to just live a peaceful, happy life, you know? And um, I decided to go to therapy after that. 
and I'm still in the process of healing and finding myself but I definitely I'm not where I used to be I am a year clean from a suicide attempt about to be two years come January yes ma'am love to see it yes so I'm doing better but suicide is to recognize the signs because like me like I said, I'm laughing, I'm giggling, I'm smiling, I'm checking in on people, I'm mm-hmm. calling people. But the moment we stop or the moment we feel like or you see that we put in too much effort into trying to do something, that's that's mm-hmm. a sign. That's a sign. Because if you know this person don't usually show up to family events and now for the last five months they've been at every single birthday party and every do this, that's yeah. a sign. You know, and my family didn't realize it, but they was like, You've been telling us this all along. And I used to always joke about death. I used to always be like, you know, I always ask my best friend, if you was to have to plan my funeral, what would you say? You know, mm-hmm. like if you were to have to talk at my funeral, what would you say? What would you do? How would you feel if I just ended up missing one day? Like, well, you know, I just wanted to see where people's mind was at. And even then, nobody really paid attention to it. They kind of like, you're crazy. Like, why would you say something like that? You know, <laughs> but it was really my cries for help. I used to post on social media and repost depression posts. And that night I posted probably like maybe a hundred depression posts. And not one person texted me to check that I was okay. I didn't respond to no text messages. I was laying in my bed dark the whole day. Nobody, my roommates didn't come check in on me. It's things like that. Like the signs be there. But we, everybody is so busy with life that they don't recognize that those are signs. Nobody's going to sit here and go, come up, walk up to you and be like, hey, I want to commit suicide. Yeah. Because then it's not real. Now, I mean, and I'm not necessarily that it's not real, but what are the odds that they're actually going to fall through on it? You know, those that's hiding it, those that want to be in your face and spend that time with you, you know, those are the signs. If you know I'm never at dinner and I show up at dinner tonight, come on now. Why are you here? (laughs) Yeah, what's up? You all right? Yeah. Yeah, so it, it's about recognizing the signs and definitely understanding that everybody doesn't react the same. You know, it's always the strong ones that struggles the most. Very much so. I, I agree with that in all aspects. Definitely. It's, it's definitely the strong ones, but it's a battle that will never, ever kind of close. It's just something that we, I will continue to fight through to this day. Um, I have my days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lord knows I have my days. Especially with me recently having a stroke. It's definitely been a battle as to, you know, I I get through one obstacle just to go through another. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I you know, they say never question God, but yeah. it's times where you sit there and you be like, Okay, Lord, what you trying to do? Because <laughs> at this point I I'm sick of it. It's like you gotta do something better. But it's about the outcome, and I'm always about how you come out at the end. It's not about what you go through, but how you come out. Yeah. You know, if you learn from it, amazing. But what you gonna do to not make sure you end up back in that situation? You know. Yeah. No, you're right. I agree. I agree with that. And I always try to live by making sure I treat everybody well like whether I know you or not because you never know someone's situation 
and you may do something that can send them off the edge in the right or the wrong direction yeah it's, it's yeah and it's crazy because I don't know I think the biggest lesson that I've learned from just trying to commit suicide multiple times I mean mm-hmm. granted I just talked about the times I tried to commit suicide as an adult but as a child I've always felt like I needed to die you know mm-hmm. but it was times where I just cut myself too much or too deep and I didn't bleed out but even then nobody noticed so now it's really I feel like as you battle with suicide or suicide ideations you know even just thinking about how you want to die is a sign of suicide attempts or ideation like if someone comes up to you today and be like hey you know I always want to die in my sleep or you know I think I'm going to walk out in front of a car one day and get hit or you know I might get into a car accident you it's kind of like you like girl don't say that but then you have to sit back and realize like why would you say that like why yeah. what what is making you think that way you know and people don't yeah, where realize, did that come from right because i don't know i was random with mine i was always random with mine i would just randomly i could be in a mid-conversation be like girl you know what what if i got hit by a car tonight <laughs> and my friends be like where did that come from and you know i just i've always you know just want to die you know it's it's sad to say Thinking back on it now, I could talk about it. But if you would have asked me a year ago to do this podcast or to even just talk about my situation, I would be like, no, I'm okay. It, it's something that's that... understandable. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's something that's hard to talk about because, you know, I was, again, I was thinking about being judged and, you know, people not liking me still or thinking yeah. that something is seriously wrong with me. And I don't like that, like to worry about me but now I've become accustomed to people worrying about me um, mm-hmm. I'm used to getting now people if people don't hear from me they're like uh-uh what's wrong well, I ain't heard from you so yeah did your attempt make you want to write your book it did it just showed me that my life is too short and that I know what I'm capable of and that's scary and I realized that I'm more scared of myself than I am of anybody else in this world. Mm. And to be scared of yourself is it's something that you have to live with for the rest of your life. It's not like it's not like it's not like being scared of the boogeyman or candyman or Michael yeah. Myers. It's it's literally like I know what I'm capable of. I know that if I wanted to right now, I could go to the gun store, pick up a gun and shoot my brains out with no problem. You know what I mean? Like, I know what I'm capable of. And I know I'm capable of killing myself. And that's scary within itself. Because I shouldn't, I shouldn't be capable of killing myself. You know, that's just not something that people live to do. You know, it's not something people really sit there and something may not really sit and think about. Right. And it was just some practice that I just was like, you know, I know that I could kill myself, but I also don't want to leave this world without people knowing who I am and why I did what I did. You know, not saying mm-hmm. that I'm I'm in the mind of committing suicide because I'm not. I'm really far from it. But it's the same fact is that if I was to ever let myself get that low again to the point where I would want to commit suicide, mm-hmm. I don't want the world to know who I wasn't, who I was. I, I would want the world to know who I was. 
and why I was the way I was and why it ended up leading up to this. So that that's exactly why I wrote my book. To get you to understand that this is the things that I went through. Yes, I became successful. I put the odds against me and I used it as a crutch to become successful. But at the end of the day, I still struggled. I still had something in me that didn't want to fight anymore. And when you find that something, you have to let other people know that it's okay to be scared of it. Mm-hmm. But you have to learn how to face your fears. You have to learn how to face yourself in times of being depressed and the times of your anxiety. You have to learn how to, to face that fear and to keep going with it and to grow with it, honestly, because eventually that fear is going to become your best friend. Mm-hmm. And and that and that's especially what suicide is to me. It's my best friend. It's something that I keep close to me because I know that without that experience, I wouldn't have been who I am or where I am today. I wouldn't be able to write that book. I would have never, nobody would have knew what it, what, what it was like to be in the mind of a foster child at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. That's fine. I'm, I don't even, mm. I'm really just happy you're here. Thank like, you. no cap. Like, I am so proud of you. Thank you. Very much I appreciate so. that. More than you think. And I know you and I, we like, we don't talk like that and we haven't known each other long, but we had classes together and we had like 30 classes together. Yes. The major was small, but <laughs> besides all that, like, I would have never known you were going through that because you say because of how you act and how happy you seem and then later on just noticing like different stuff and then you coming out and actually saying that you have been through moments where you have attempted suicide like that was like wow yeah I I I I'm probably the the I'm a very happy genuine person I am mm-hmm. and just making sure I'm smiling when I walk out the door no matter how I'm feeling no matter who I see I always try to put a smile on my face I can have tears in my eyes and I'll still be smiling yeah. just because I want everybody else to make sure that they're okay yeah. you know I just want to make sure you're okay it doesn't matter how I feel it's about how you feel you are feel- you okay yeah and and so I just felt like you know making people laugh like that's what I'm here for like if making people laugh is what keeps me going every day you know and that's kind of what encouraged me to get into the the social work field it's a perspective that I like to make other people happy I like to make sure other people are okay yeah I agree I think that's what part partially why I, I decided to do that too yeah it is a it's a giving thing we like to give yeah but sometimes we give too much of ourselves give too much yes that <laughs> that is true and that's a whole nother topic a whole nother topic <laughs> for a whole nother day yeah. um, <laughs> if like uh, what can someone who may know someone else that could be experiencing suicidal thoughts or just you just notice a change in them that's kind of like something not something's not right 
what's the best way to approach that person about it or what advice would you give to someone that may be contemplating suicide or showing signs of it like how should we who's not on that end experiencing what they're experiencing how do we approach them to make sure that they don't that they don't go through with it to be honest um the first when you if you notice somebody who's a little off don't be like you finna kill yourself don't do that because a lot of my people do that yes a lot of a lot of people came to me was like you trying to kill yourself and it's just like okay and what if i am like what you gonna do about it like that's just the vibe to get off but when you notice that somebody isn't themselves or they just feel off or they just feel down more than usual or always being in that negative mindset Mm -hmm. just talk to them just let them know that you're gonna you're there for them no matter what you're going to be there for them you're here to listen to them just be a listening ear be like whatever you need to get off your chest just get off now it's it's just the support it's the constantly reassuring that that person that they're not alone because I went through my depression and I felt absolutely alone in a crowd full of people and that's the worst feeling that anybody could ever feel yeah. And just to know that one person sees you and hears you and will always be there for you is reassurance within itself. But never ask somebody if they're trying to kill themselves. I don't ever ask that question, in my opinion. Because even if they wasn't, now they are. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, they were just depressed and, you know, maybe self-harmed a little bit. But... That doesn't mean that, you know, that they were contemplating suicide, you know, but it's the minute you give them that leeway to even think about it mm-hmm. is you just you, you you just lost the battle of trying to save them at that point. So I definitely say if you notice somebody who isn't being themselves or who just seems just a little down more than usual, just be there for them. Just constantly reassure that you're there for them. Um, and those who are definitely going through it, don't give up. It's a fight that will always continue to be a fight, a battle. It's going to get harder before it get easier. And I say that because I've been there. You know, I literally hit rock bottom right after my suicide, my last suicide attempt. I literally lost everything. You know, people who I thought that was going to support me through this situation literally left me mm-hmm. to the to, to dust. And I wanted to give up again, but look to it as a new start. You know, look at look to it as something to redo. It's a do-over. You know, how many times do we get a second chance in life? Yeah. You know, you only get one life to live. And if the first time you attempted and it didn't work, don't try it again because it's not going to work. Don't be me. <laughs> don't do it multiple times and still get the same end results and don't be successful. You know, talk to somebody, reach out. And it's okay to to just text somebody and say you want to talk. Go to the beach, talk it out. Go spend some alone time with yourself, write it out. Um, yeah. Just find coping skills that you stop doing. The things that you stop doing, do those again when you feel depressed or when you feel like you want to contemplate suicide. Mm-hmm. And I promise you, you're going to be like, okay, I can do this. So just take your time with it. Reach out definitely reach out um a bigger tip for me that I don't tell a lot of people is that um I've always reached out to the suicide hotline before I even did the actual attempt um just just to, to you know just to 
just to know that they actually care. Um, the suicide hotline definitely works. Um, you, if you don't want to call, talk to them on the phone, you can text them. Um, so just reach out even when you don't. Like, I didn't want to reach out to my family or my friends. I didn't want to talk to nobody that I knew personally. I, I want to just want to talk to a stranger. I felt like if I told a stranger, maybe they could say something that my friends could yeah, say. Yeah, it's not. You know, and definitely, I just say reach out and do not give up. It's going to get harder before it gets easier. And the moment it gets harder, just know the light is at the end of the tunnel each time. And I know it seems far away, but keep keep going. Um, I My new motto now, if, if I'm going through hell, why would I stop in hell? Mm. Know, get through it keep pushing and find find something that you love whether it's a dog or a cat or a mouse hang on to it put that image in your head every day you 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 feel sad you feel down you feel like you're alone think of that one person that you know will be deeply hurt if you were to kill yourself that's just all I have to say yeah and for those that need the number to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, I got it. It's 1-800-273-8255. So if you know someone, if you're contemplating it, or you know someone that may be contemplating it, check on them. Give them that number. Make sure you get them with any resources they can get to make sure that they feel better than how they're feeling. Agreed, agreed. And it's okay not to be okay. Yes. Yeah. No one's happy all the time. That's exactly. That's physically impossible. Definitely. Whether you're just a little happy or just a little down, like I'm not saying you're gonna be like downright down and out unhappy, but no one's walking around smiling a hundred percent of their day. Correct. And that's okay. You're entitled to feel the way you feel. Right. We're all human. What comes to mind when you hear the term concealed scars? I just felt like a story needs to be told. I feel like we all conceal the scars from past or present. And sometimes we don't realize how our scars can heal other people's scars. Mm-hmm. And concealed scars is just basically unveiling those scars, but also keeping them covered at the same time while healing everybody else around you. Mm. I like that. That's now that's an answer I have never heard. I haven't heard to that question. I like that though. It's no real answer. I just like it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank you again. And just let you know, I'm so happy and proud of you. Like, I can't stop saying that. Like, you got a whole book. Like, who does that? <laughs> Girl, I'm still shocked. But while y'all like it, y'all can definitely purchase it on Amazon. It comes in paperback and a ebook if you would like it. Um, it's definitely on sale now. It's going to continue to be on sale. And it is called Life As I Knew It in the Mind of a Foster Child by Ariel Jones. Um, go get it. I promise you it's worth it. And thank you for having me. You're welcome. Of course. Of course. Well, like she said, make sure y'all get her book. 
Life as I Know It in the Mind of a Foster Child, available on Amazon. Paperback and ebook. So don't say you don't like reading paperback books because it's on the ebook. And if you need access to the National Prevent- Suicide Prevention Hotline, that number again is 1 800 273 8255. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Concealed Scars. I'm just trying to survive. Can I just breathe for a minute? Only woman in the room and I'm still that name.